Hey, everybody, it is Richard Harrison, Scott Lease in July of 2022 with another episode of the Surfing Sales Podcast. Uh, super excited to be here today. Uh, before I introduce our guest and allow her to introduce herself as well, uh, quick shout out to uh, Sendoso Scratchpad and Outreach.io for sponsoring us. We couldn't do this without them, so we really appreciate all they do. Um, as you're looking for things in the sales enablement arena and other tools to help you become more effective and efficient in 2022 and 23, please check them out. Uh, Sendoso, Scratchpad and Outreach.io. Without further ado, uh, super excited to have Elise Archer on here. Uh, I kind of knew of Elise, but really got to meet her this year as uh, Scott and I and Elise were all um, humbly, you know, recognized by sales forces, sales leaders, uh, to pay attention to. And so we're, Elise, why don't you tell everybody what you do? Because you have your hands on a couple of things. So I don't want to oh, butcher anything. <laughs> no, this is, this is so fun. I'm so excited for this conversation and I'm, I'm grateful. And yeah, so I am the uh, founder and CEO of She Sells. So I work primarily with women to help them break beyond either first the six figure earning mark, then the seven figure earning mark. Um, get, you know, I'm privileged to do corporate speaking, training, consulting as well. And outside of that, I am a wife, I'm a mom to an almost two-year-old in a couple of weeks here. So there is never a dull moment at home. I'm learning as, as he grows, it's, yeah. it just gets more and more exciting. So, yeah. That's the word exciting, right? Scott? Yeah. And that's the word exciting. That's the only word I used ever. <laughs> yeah. I've never said anything other than that. Yeah. So what, 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 you know, first of all, I love anybody who focuses on a particular niche, whether it's women or LGBTQA mm. um, plus communities or other minorities or anybody to help them succeed in their career. Yeah. Where'd that even come from for you? I mean, yeah. is it the obvious that I'm a woman and there was no filtering <laughs> there or like, was there something else that happened? No, it's, it's a great question. And I actually resisted it for a long time. Um, and I'll, that's actually part of what I share about my journey now is I, I didn't want to go all in on women. Um, I was afraid of so many things around it, which I'll, I'll share in a moment, but, um, yeah, so I had, I went into college actually thinking I would do journalism. And I remember very clearly sitting in my, I thought it was going to be a newspaper writer, which makes me sound old, but that was my goal. And I was in class and my professor said how much you would make as a newspaper reporter. And I remember he said, it and I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm 19 years old. I don't have a great sense of how much everything costs in the world yet, but I have a feeling that's not a lot. And I know I Wait, like what, nice what, things. What was the amount? What was the amount? <laughs> I think it was 30,000 was what he said. I would have killed for 30,000 when I was like 19 years old. I would have definitely yeah, I thought know. I could get by forever on that amount. I, yeah, I think I, I think my, I don't know. I already knew I liked nice so, shoes. There was some I of that going. I'm going <laughs> to age myself. So you feel better, Elise. Thank my, you, Richard. Please do. My first Thank job you. coming out of college was working at the Gap, which I've told many times I was a manager and my base salary was like $18,000. And I think I could make 20 if we got <laughs> like, you know, just that's a uh, long time ago. Of course, rent was like 400 bucks a month, you know, but oh still. man, yeah, you could probably do a lot with that back then. Not really. They, um, no. <laughs> so, anyway, sorry to interrupt, but still I had to wasn't a lot back then. 
<laughs> no, I love it. I love it. So I, I quickly realized that that was not going to be the career path for me. So I ended up going into corporate sales, um, did corporate media, and um, this will also age me. But my first job out of school was selling yellow pages. That was actually like the thing when I graduated. It was actually a very lucrative you know, highly sought after position in the media world, interestingly, but it was towards the end of, of that era. And so I was also selling digital ad campaigns, all that stuff. And really what I found along the way in that experience was I was super motivated to be a top producer. So looking back on it, what I didn't know then was that there was so much of me that was seeking validation in the amount of money I was making in being top of the leaderboard. It was a lot of me being insecure and not being really confident in who I was. And so I was working all the time to try to make as much money as I could, you know, be at the top of the leaderboard, get the awards. And I found myself in my mid twenties with a life that on the outside looked pretty good to most people. So I did all the things that I thought I was supposed to do to be successful. And I had the, you know, the nice house, the nice car, all of it. But what I wasn't sharing at the time was that inwardly I was, I was struggling so much and no one would have known it from look, I was the person everyone came to for advice and for like support. Cause I knew how to uplift others, but I couldn't do it for myself. So I was secretly struggling with a lot of anxiety, panic attacks and eating disorder. And just kind of at this place where I was like, there's got to be a different way. And the other thing that was going on during that time was no matter what I did, I was investing in so much coaching training, you know, spending tens of thousands of dollars, which for me at the time was a lot to invest in coaching. And I couldn't break through a certain income threshold, no matter what I did. I was, I was doing good, but not great. And I had a vision for more. And so can you, can you share what that was? Are you comfortable sharing what that threshold was? Yeah. So for me, it was like low six figures, like 100, 150. That was like, no matter what I did. Which I feel like is pretty, I feel like that's pretty common for a lot of people. Like they get to there and it's like, I don't know what else to do kind of thing. Yeah. Totally. And it's, and I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I think it gives context to a later part of the story of what I teach now and what I'm so passionate about. But yeah, it was like, I was stuck at that level and no matter what I did, I couldn't break out of it. And it it creates a good life, right? You can live a good life there, but I just had this, I had a vision for more. And so I went on this journey of figuring out, okay, I know I want to grow in all areas. I want to grow financially. I want to grow my life. I, I wanted to, um, you know, retire my husband so he could study and go to medical school. I wanted to feel good and feel whole inside. And I was like, there's gotta be a way to make more sales, make more money, but not be like killing myself on the inside to do this. And frankly, like not liking who I am all along the way. And so I started studying with incredible mentors, many of whom for me were women and they taught a different way to sell. And I started learning ways to sell that actually felt aligned for me. And it wasn't about just hustle and burnout and push and, you know, don't stop closing until somebody dies, which was frankly, a lot of what I'd been taught in my corporate sales training. Um, and I saw that they were having so much more success. These women were making seven figures, multi seven figures, et cetera. And I started studying neuroscience and the subconscious mind. And I just went on this journey of healing so much in myself that had been broken And then literally like, so I took six weeks of a hard, hard focused effort on 
reprogramming my mindset around money, self-worth, what was possible for me. And in six weeks, turned my annual income into my monthly income was able to, now I, I okay. healed the eating disorder before. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. I, 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 this is fascinating. <laughs> like we're, we're going to have you, I think on a, a bigger live show uh, where we have an audience, but wait, first I want to, I want to go back and dig into yeah. what was the difference that they were teaching. And then I know we want to dig into how you did that in six weeks. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was, what was different about the way women were teaching you in sales? Mm, great question. So it's things that probably are not going to be, it's not, it's not what's typically taught in corporate sales training is what I'll say. But I learned a lot about the difference between masculine and feminine energy. And we all have both, right? So we're all wired with both inside of ourselves. But if you are born as a woman, if you identify as a woman, you're going to be more successful when you're leaning more into that feminine energy. And the feminine is actually about fun, play, relationships, pleasure, the journey, like really having a good time along the way of achieving your goals. Masculine energy tends to be more, it's about the destination. It's about where am I going? Um, it's structured. It's you do this, you do that, and you get that result. Right. And so what I found was that so much of what had been taught in my corporate sales training up until that point was very, very masculine, which makes sense because working in male dominated environments being taught by a lot of, it was just what was taught. But I started learning from these other women about like, yes, you need that. And on top of that, what would it be like to prioritize self-care? What would it be like to prioritize building relationships? What would it be like to let it be okay? If it's the end of the month, and this sale needs a little bit more time. Like, you know, intuitively this sale needs a little bit more time to develop, to be ready to close it and not to feel like you've got to push it today to get the deal right by the end of the month. And so it was really about leaning into those parts of me that I had made wrong for so long because I didn't think that that's why I actually shied away from leaning into teaching women for a long time, because I had made so much of how I'm wired as a woman wrong. Can you give um, an example of that? Um, why? I mean, for anybody who wants to learn, but I, I know we have yeah. men and women and, yeah. and non-binary and people who identify in lots of different ways, yeah. but I totally agree with you. And I'm sitting here going, shit, I'm going to keep asking questions that get us to a destination. Like I'm literally. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But for those who are like, oh my gosh, this is really interesting to hear. Like, what would be a, is there a tactic you could say, hey, look at something this way, aside from sort of this energy piece, if mm. they're in a deal cycle or a sales cycle of like, mm -hmm. you know, how do you teach someone to slow down? Anyway, I'll, I'll let you interpret that and answer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest things, and again, this, this applies regardless of your gender, is leaning into your intuition with your sales process. So I'll give an example. I've got a client of mine. Um, she actually just left corporate to go off and start her own thing, which I'm really excited for her about, but she was a top sales leader with a, um, with a European SaaS company. And at the end of the quarter, she had this big deal she was working on and they were just, they were pushing her like, get it in, get it in, get it in. And she knew there was, if she tried to close it, then she knew the deal would be that big. If you're watching the video, it's like that much, but she knew there was so much more potential that she was working on behind the scenes. And she, she intuitively knew she needed about a month left to like, get it across the, the finish line to the full extent that the deal could be. 
And so she had to make the choice of what do I do? Do I go against my intuition and just do what leadership is telling me to do? Because that is because I'm towing the line and wanting to do what they're right. I wanted to like play the company card, um, and know that I'm sacrificing a much greater opportunity for both the client and for us, or do I fight back and lean on my intuition and trust it? And so she literally had to go to layer after layer of leadership saying, it's not right to close it right now. It's not right to close it right now. And they were pushing back and wanted her to close it, but she was, she stood firm and they ended up saying, okay, we trust you, you know, follow, we're going to follow your lead here. And then she went on to close it. And it was one of the biggest deals the company's ever had. It was like a month later than they wanted it in. Right. But it was, she was trusting her intuition and leaning on that rather than this is the process. This is the end of the quarter. We got to get the number in. So let me just do whatever I need to do to get the number in. Does that help with, with an example? I, I think that's a great example because I think we all have been there. And I think it's different for Scott and you and I because we run our own businesses that we can have that patience. Yeah. Um, not that we like it, but we can have, you know, we don't have to answer to other people, so to speak. Whereas others are going to be like, I'm hoping they'll be able to go, okay, now I need to do that. And and figure that out. We could go deeper into, well, how do you communicate that to management? But I, I you brought up so many good things today. I, mean, I know Scott's got some questions. It would be, I mean, it would be ideal if the management let that become the process. I don't think that it's a process problem. The problem is that the processes, processes have been so immediate results oriented that the type of process that Elise's new client was running was frowned upon and not allowed to happen. But if you just adjust the process to say, listen, I trust my salespeople and their intuition, I think is the words that she used. There's nothing wrong with keeping a process and just that is part of it. Like we're not gonna try to rush things in. I'm not gonna take a $10,000 deal today when it could be a $100,000 deal in a month or six weeks. That's a adjustment that leadership can make and instill that process on down. I want to go back to something you said about the niche and niching down on working with women and that kind of thing. What do you give up in order to niche down like that? What are you losing in order to do that? That's a great question. Do you mean in terms of the limiting belief that I had about niching down or like literally because I'm niching down, what do I give up? How, I think however you want to answer it. The reason I bring it up selfishly is because Years ago, I got told that I was never going to succeed at this if I didn't niche down. Mm. And somebody told me I was talking about too many things and I'm all over the map and I, I do a little bit of this and I do a little bit of that. And I sort of was like, yeah, but if I niche down, I'm going to get really fucking bored. So I'm not going to be able to do that. So, but I know what I lose in not niching down. I could lose some specific focus and whatnot. So tell, tell me what you think about on the opposite side of that. Yeah, that's such a good question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that. I mean, I think, you know, I'll, I'll say the obvious that my brand on the, you know, on first glance, it's she sells, right? So it's all women. And, and frankly, I've got a long background of working with clients in financial services. And actually for a long time, I coached primarily men in financial services. And I still love working with that market. That group is like my favorite financial services is my favorite group to work with, but you know, when people look at my brand right off the bat, 
they're a lot of them are going to be like, Oh, she's not for me. Yeah. Right. So I get your ICP shrinks right away. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I coach, I coach men in my private coaching, um, you know, my private coaching clients. And then I'm, I'm launching a brand later on this year. That's not female specific. So I'm super mm. excited. So that kind of speaks to like your desire to want to be able to speak to a lot of different things too. Right. Cause so I you niche down of- and now you're expanding back out. Exactly. Exactly. So niche down, we're getting everything really systematized in the she sells brand, bringing in other consultants to help with it. And then I'm, I've got a bigger vision. That can be an interesting way to do it rather than be everything to everybody right from the start, niche down, get real good and famous for lack of a better word at this one thing. And then once you're known for that thing, now you can more easier, it's easier to expand into other kinds of services. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds good when you put it that way and looking at it now, it's like, yeah, that's actually what we're doing. Yeah. Go ahead, Richard. It's it's interesting because I think sometimes that's what's where startups fail, right? Like Mm -hmm. so often, you know, they, they should niche down into two or three verticals and the rest of the business will come. Whereas, you know, so many founders want to be horizontal, right? And I can see in some places where that's okay, but so often that's one of the biggest things I see. Happens all the time. You know, yeah, I, I talk to startups every single day whose first three sales reps work on different segments of the market. They hire one SMB, one mid market and one enterprise person. And that's how they start. Yeah. And I have a meltdown when I when I have to deal with that. I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know now about I, this. It could be like a whole hour long discussion in and of itself. But give everybody like two or three differences between a six figure earner and a seven figure earner. Mm. Okay. I'll share the number one and then I'll think of some others. But to me, the biggest thing, this was my own journey. It's worthiness. It worthiness. is worthiness. Yeah. Like accepting that I am worthy of earning I'm worthy that of this. Yes. So your level of income will never exceed your level of self-worth. It can't. Say that one, say that one more time because that's like very quote. That's a very quotable, tweetable thing right there. <laughs> yeah. Your level of income will never exceed your level of self-worth. Wow. Yeah. And, and that was what I realized in my own journey, why I was stuck at that six figure mark for so long. I had visions for more. I tallied up how much it cost. I knew it was more than what I was making. I knew it was somewhere around the seven figure mark. But when I really thought about it, I realized I didn't feel worthy of it. And I didn't identify as somebody who had that much financial abundance in her life. And so for me, that was the work. And that's the work I do with my clients now is really helping them rewire to feel worthy. There's, there's a lot of moving parts, parts to it, but when, as soon as you can start feeling worthy of it and shifting your identity to match being someone who brings in that amount, it, it will happen for you. It's just a matter of time. Um, okay. What about the, more, what yeah. about, what about the person who's like a billionaire? They really, so they have this self-worth that they're really worth a billion dollars. How do you keep the ego in check somehow there or do you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's how you, you know, whether you have judgment on money or not. Right. And I think there's a lot of, yeah, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of egotistical people with a lot of money. I think there's a lot of people without money. It might, it could be how you feel about money morally as well. Yeah. And that's a huge, this is one of the things I love. Yeah. I I feel like we could talk about so many different things. I love helping people heal their relationship with money because in sales and as entrepreneurs, we're dealing with money all day long. 
most of us have so many money hangups and we don't even realize it. We don't know where they come from. Yeah. And we'll actually, we will, we will block it. And I have story after story after story of clients who didn't realize how much they were blocking money from coming yeah. in. Okay. Uh, so yeah. that's one. I'm, what are two I'm others? You, Elise. We're getting off this call and you and I are. <laughs> but, I yeah, you, you, need to, you need to work with Richard. I can't, I've taken him as far as I can go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so that's one, that's one reason I want to hear two other differences between a, a six and a seven figure earner though. Mm-hmm. And then I'll let Richard ask a couple questions. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. So I think, I mean, I think another is your capacity, right? So it's like, how much are you giving out? How much are you? So the law of compensation, you're always going to be compensated according to how good you are at what you do the difficulty there would be in replacing you, right? So you've got to look at how, how good am I at what I'm doing? How much am I putting out? How much good am I putting out for what I say I want to receive back? How hard would it be to replace me? So really expanding that capacity for how you're going to show up and be of service in the world and looking at what, like, this is something we just did with, um, with my show, She Sells Radio is like, it had been a weekly show for so long. And I said, you know what? There's a lot of things I don't do well. There's so many things I don't do well and I'm okay with it. I know the podcast is one thing that like, it's what I love and it's easy and it's fun. And it's the thing that generates the most clients for us. And we just turned it into a daily show because it's particle flow, right? We're going to flow more out because that's out of everything I've done that hasn't worked well. (laughs) That's one thing I do that does work well. So leaning in on how can I expand my capacity to give and show up in my strengths? And then, gosh, I mean, I feel like 95 to 98% of his worthiness and, and I'll, I'll, if I can, this ties in with worthiness, but I'm going to speak to it separately. It is your identity. It is. How do you view yourself? If you've, I don't know if either of you have ever read the book, psycho cybernetics, by Maxwell Maltz. So he, he speaks to, um, he speaks to the inner thermostat that we all have for what type of results we expect in our life. This stuff, most of it's programmed into you before you're seven years old. So that means we've already destroyed our children. At least there's still time for you to save your child. (laughs) I tell you what, when you know this stuff and you're raising a little kid every day, I'm like, Oh my gosh, what did I just do? So, you know, you do your best and and that's all we we can do. I hope you kept the receipt, Richard. (laughs) <laughs> well, actually, so Scott, you don't know this, but next time we get together, Riley told me he's putting together a PowerPoint presentation. There's a true story of why you owe me half your money from your family. <laughs> At least our, our families are super tight and close. And Riley is our, so far, okay. seems to be the sales guy. Oh, Can't wait until I get pitched on that one. Right. <laughs> this is the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But so, so yeah, so your identity, so your identity forms based on think about how you grew up, how much money your parents made, what you were told you could or couldn't do, yada, yada. So your results will never supersede your identity either. That's the truth. Now, the good news is, so when, when you, I've, I went on this rabbit hole of studying neuroscience several years ago, and it's been really, really interesting. And most of the neural pathways in your brain are formed by the age of 35. So that's why most people used to say you can't change. (laughs) I promise there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You can't like your program. Most people would say you're programmed a certain way by the age of 35 and you can't change. Well, new research shows you can, you can shift it. You can form new belief systems about yourself. You can form a new identity of yourself but you've got to be intentional about it. And you've got to get really clear on who it is you want to become and what the new identity is you want to step into. So I would say part of it, we can go wherever you want with this, but part of it is acting as if, 
I went through a period where I was still making my 10,000 a month and still feeling stuck and all that. But I started practicing. How does the seven figure version of me, how does she walk? How does she talk? How does she speak to herself when she sees herself in the mirror? Um, how does she make decisions on where she's going to invest and what she's going to do? And just started acting as if, and over time started to adopt that identity. So you can, you can take that wherever you want, but those are, those are I want to, I want to go back to something you said. I think if I, if I remember you said it right, was you made this connection and you said you went from making your annual income to making that annual income, your monthly income in six weeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is really telling. And I think it's a summation of all these things you're sharing. Are they like, again, I'll go masculine. Are they like, okay, if you want to make that shift, here are some things I learned mm. made you do that, made me do this in six weeks. Not that everybody's going to be yeah. on that same path, but th yeah. that blew my mind. It, it blew my mind, Richard, when it happened. <laughs> I didn't expect it to happen. It was, it was shocking how it happened. And I look back on it. I'm like, what I had to kind of reverse engineer the process. I think some of the biggest things were, I finally got fed up of my own BS and saying, I'm going to do this when, um, I had done an exercise with my coach at the time called your five dream lives. And you basically look at, okay, if I could have any dream life, like think about things you wanted to do when you were a little kid, things you kind of just dismissed things. You said, Oh, that'll never happen for me. But if I could have any five dream lives, what would those be? And I was, she had me journal about them and stuff showed up for me, like being a philanthropist. And I always, I, I would give a little, right. I always gave, I would give a little to causes I care about, but I could never make those big donations I cared about. Um, being a philanthropist, you know, retiring my husband from his job so he could go to medical school, uh, traveling the world, creating an animal sanctuary that, uh, that also helps people with addiction issues. Cause we've got history of that in our family. And I just remember looking at those things. And then I thought about all the people who had done those things. And I realized a lot of them were younger than me. So I didn't have that excuse of age anymore. Um, a lot of them came from way worse backgrounds than me. And I just, it was like a, an aha moment of Elise, you are the only one who's holding yourself back. That's it. And so I just made that commitment and it was inconvenient timing. Cause my son was four months old at that time, but I said, all right, God, universe, whatever I need to do to get out of my own way and like really step into the fullness of who I am, I'm going to do it. And, um, of course, the next day I hear an ad on the podcast of a woman I listened to who, uh, helps, she specializes in helping moms become seven figure earners. And she says, she's got room for a new coaching client. I'm like, okay, of course you do. So let me bite and I'll fill out the application on her website. We all have room for one more. Client. We all have room for one more. And I get on the application call with her and it's like, yes, yes, yes. Of course. Like this is such a good fit. And then she tells me the investment. And it's $50,000 to work with her for six months. And keep in mind, like, I don't care what you made last year, but take half of it. And assuming you weren't saving that all along to invest in coaching at some unforeseen moment, um, that was kind of where I was. I was like, crap. you took half of your income and invested in one coach. Yes. 
I did. Wow. And I, that I, is a bold, bold move. And that's another to Richard's question of like, what did you do tactically? Yeah. I burned the ships. It was like literally, and yeah. I knew in that moment, I didn't have the money. So, I mean, I'll be super frank. I put the deposit on a credit card. I didn't have yeah. it sitting. You know, who's one person that would never have the guts to do that, Richard? You, this guy right here. Uh, yeah. I bet you would. If it was, no, like, if it was, no, like, no, no, no. You are yeah. way, way braver than I me. I think it nope. was $500 on something. <laughs> But, it, you know, and I never told this woman that, but in the moment it was like to even be able to afford this coaching, it's like, it doesn't matter how good of a coach she is like to be able to afford the coaching payment and not put my family in financial ruin. Cause I was the breadwinner for us. It was like, I've got to become a radically different person and I've got to start doing everything I was afraid of. And by the way, based on the timeline, you said you just had your four month old, you was, they were, he was four months. It's almost two. This is in the last 18 months. Yeah. It's all, it's not this all happened during the pandemic. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're making majorly bold, bold moves. At a, a lot of, not to discredit the move from Elise, but a lot of people made the move like this during the pandemic. Cause it was very like a shock to the system and eye opening. And like, I don't want to be dependent upon other people. And I got to change something. I got to make some kind of big move. So kudos to you for taking really strong action and coming out the other, other end of it. That's fantastic. Thank you. I just, I'm just still having a bit of an anxiety attack, (laughs) half my income and spending it on one, in one place. I can't even spend it on a thousand different places. Scott, Scott, when, when you give it into the money that Riley says you owe me, I'll pay for it. For you. So, I want to see perfect. this PowerPoint when it comes out, by the yeah. way. <laughs> oh, he, believe me, he's put together PowerPoints about why he should see Deadpool. He's put together power. Like, it's crazy. Like, it's hilarious. This is great. Uh, yeah. I love this kid. <laughs> yeah. he, wants, he, he was the one when the brother-in-law was having the garage sale. He wanted to, he didn't want to go hang out for 15 minutes to help. And he ended up staying there for like five hours because he loved selling. Uh, and money. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, so you, I mean, yeah, go, go ahead. So you, so you did this in six weeks, you know, Scott has this great line that I love is to pick something up. You got to put something down. Mm. What did you start having to say no to Yeah. from your capacity perspective to kind of go, okay, if I'm going to commit to this thing, yeah, I got to go all in and here's what I'm not going to be able to do anymore. Yeah. Well, could you do it all? Were you able to prioritize? Maybe, maybe you're well, not Yeah. So after, you know, at, she, she helped me strategize and launch a new program. And that was one of the biggest things that brought in, um, that brought in new money, but I had to shift my beliefs to even be able to launch it. Cause it was a group program. And I had a ton of limiting beliefs around whether a whole group of women would want to work with me or not. Um, but so after the fact I had to start saying no to some other things that I had been, you know, working on partnering with along the way. But the biggest thing I had to say no to was all of the head trash I'd had around how I wasn't worthy, wasn't capable. I had so much junk around money and, you know, a lot of messed up in that relationship there too. And it was because there was so much on the line to be able to make it work. It was such a, like all in, like I said, burn the ships process of, I had to look at every limiting belief I'd ever had around money and debunk why it wasn't true. I had to look at every limiting belief I'd ever had around my worthiness, my visibility, my potential. 
and drop it. So it was, it was the inner game. It was the head game I had to play during that time. Um, that was really, it was to start saying no to the negative thoughts, to start saying no to the negative self-talk and, and really shift how I saw myself and how I talked to myself. Yeah. I'm going to need to hire you. Where's your application? (laughs) Um, I want to come to some new idea because, you know, Scott, maybe you'll remember this. So you you have, she sells radio, right? Mm -hmm. Which is your weekly show. Um, one, where is it broadcast? Or is it a podcast like this? You just happen to call it radio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a podcast. Okay. And yeah. then how do you do daily? Like, that, yeah, we did, yeah, we did, we did 200 episodes Yeah, our first year and it that's was like, huge. yeah, but that's not daily at least. Well, I just right. started doing daily. So like, so here's what I will say is too, and especially when you're doing it, I think with a co-host, like you've got to align schedules. You've got to, I, so mad props to both of you. That is huge. Um, yeah. So, so it was inspired because last year I did a daily live stream and every morning at eight 30, I'd get up and I would do, we did a lot of book studies. We did, um, you know, a lot of people would come together and we'd study. It was a lot of books on mindset, some books on sales, stuff like that. And it was fun, but, and it was actually very impactful too, for my business but doing that with a, there's one at the time, one-year-old and having to like, you know, hop off of breakfast time early with him to go do the live stream. It, it wasn't great for family life. Like I'll be super honest. It wasn't great for family life, but I'd been missing that consistency. And I'd been missing like pouring into people the way I felt like I could with the daily live stream. So a couple, I've actually been wanting to do the daily podcast for about a year. And it just, there's just been other things that took priority. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, I was like, nope, this is happening. And, um, I record the episodes when I can, which is part of what's beautiful about a podcast, because if it's not live, you can record it at, you know, 5.00 AM in your PJs yeah. with your coffee. Yeah. So it's a heck of a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. And do you just like curiosity, do you edit it or is it like record and go you're done? It's really simple. Yeah. So record and go, I've got a great, um, production team who does, they do like light editing, on it for me. I'm still figuring out all the logistics. See, these are the kind of things that I, I'm like uh, Fort Knox trying to get money out of. Like, you're not going to get me to do video light editing on my podcast. Yeah. It, will, it, it, it won't happen. So I'm sure it looks like super slick, but this just goes back to the point Richard was making about me not spending any money. <laughs> like we'll record this, yeah. this will drop on Monday. Right. Mm. Yeah, we go bang bang. Right. I love and it. it. And it doesn't. Yeah. The only reason it doesn't drop today is because we just don't take the time to do it, and we give it over to somebody who just uploads. Like, there's no yeah. editing. There's no whatever. Yeah, so, mine's not. Mine's not fancy at all. There's no video editing. I mean, one of my goals is to keep upgrading it and elevating it, and we're looking for a new team for that <laughs> right now. But um, no, like it's it's basic, and that's that's always been kind of how I've rolled with things too. I think now I'm starting to care more about. All right, let's up the production quality. Let's do more, but. I think like you, to what you're both saying, if you put out good content and you get it out there, like, and you speak from the heart, you're going to have diehards who like, they just, they don't care if it sounds the best. They don't care if you look the best. They're going to want it. They want to hear from you. They want to yeah. learn from you. That's it. Yeah. It's about yeah. access. That's the key we talk about. Yeah. It's about accessibility. Yeah. And, and if you can deliver enough of the content regularly, 
uh, it starts to have a huge impact. And then yeah. they, the audience feels like they know you. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, and that, that, that knowledge of you that they have or think they have transfers over into every other platform. So mm-hmm. suddenly you'll be on Twitter and they'll message you like they know you, like you're the best friend. And then you'll get an email and then you'll get a message on LinkedIn and then you'll see them at a conference. And, and I'm, I'm like, oh, uh, I kind of remember your name. And it's this whole awkward. I'm like I stop. I'm just like, I'm sorry. I don't remember. <laughs> I get, I'm like, I'm 53, dude. Like, I'm sorry. Like, unless I, re- unless I really remember, I, I'll be like, okay, you have to remind me. I want to, I want to go back and dig into one tactical thing that every salesperson on some level deals with, and that's selling against inertia and the status quo. You said something about, uh, you know, selling at yellow pages and you're transitioning from sort of selling the book, if you will, to digital ads there. And I want to know, you know what makes people grip so hard to this medium that they've used for X amount of years and is so slow to embrace the, the new yeah. thing. And as a seller, what are some tips that you can give people to, you know, get people to be earlier on the adoption mm. curve? Oh, that's a good question. So I would say the thing that makes us grip to the old, whatever it is, whether it's an old way of doing things, an old technology, yada, yada, it's, it, it is the mind, it's the brain. So your, our brain is designed to run on efficiency. When there's something new that comes up, it's like, okay, I'm going to have to calculate the risk of doing this. Right. And I don't know, there's a lot of unknowns in that. So even if this old thing that I've been doing isn't serving me or isn't working as well as it used to, at least I know it it's familiar. I don't have to like put myself out on a limb and risk failure with changing modes here. And that applies to why it's hard for people to change habits. That applies to why it's wild, even when they know it's terrible for them. I mean, people, people will be like, listen, I know it takes me 10 hours a day to do all of this stuff. Yeah. But I, I, I really don't know if it's a good idea for me to switch to this tool that takes two minutes. That's it. Because uh, it's like Scott, Scott, you're still using Excel for your pipeline, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. No HubSpot, no CRM. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. And you actually have an employee who can do that for you. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. It's it's like it's crazy, and we all do it. I mean, I like I am raising my hand as someone who does that in areas of my life too, and it's it's crazy, and it's just it's how the it's how the mind works, it's how the brain works. But I think if you're what I would say is if you're a sales rep and you're listening, and you're like, I need to get my people past the hump of the fear. Like I know there's something built into their brain where they're not going to want to take action on this and move forward because it's the unknown. How do I help them get past it? To me, I think so much of it is education and which is why having a podcast, like what we're doing here, putting out videos on LinkedIn, um, putting out content that people can understand that help if people need to kind of warm up to whatever the concept is, that's fine. But when you're the one who can be educating on that and you're the one who can be bringing them this new information, when it's, when they're actually ready to buy, who are they going to go to? And then just making it as easy as possible, whatever that looks like. Um, I had a woman on my podcast. This was gosh, maybe years ago. She'd been a top seller in, um, in bariatric surgery, interestingly enough. So it wasn't about helping people you know, shift from an old technology to a new one. But I think you can apply this process here. One of the things that made her so successful was she literally just 
it was like concierge service all along the way. So she would tell clients, here's the first step. Here's what it's going to look like when we complete that. Here's the next step. Here's what you're going to do next. And boom, boom, boom. And she did this from the start before they had. You're taking the mystery out of, out of it. Yeah, exactly. Really clear for people. Yeah. Yeah. So clear for people. So easy. And she said for her closing was such a formality because people would just ask, okay, what's next? Like, how do I move forward on this? Cause she had just laid it out. It's this, it's this, it's this. She was reassuring. She made it them feel comfortable. And then it was just an easy yes. And that's also something people are scared of, right? That's a big investment. That's a big life change. So she got them to the point where they just felt so comfortable and so at ease about it. So I think you can take that same mindset and process and apply it. If you've got to move people into a new way of thinking or doing something with your product. Yeah. That's great. So um, I got to do a, a couple things, but we're going to turn it over to you in a second. Let you ask us some questions, which we forgot to tell Ooh. you. Uh, oh, I like uh, it. That's because, you know, we forget shit. Um, <laughs> I mentioned names, um, but a quick shout out to uh, outreach.io Scratchpad and Sendoso for sponsoring us and supporting us. And at least, I mean, this is valuable. We, we're going to, I'll tease it that we're going to reach out to you and, and another gentleman, Ian, who you know from the from the Salesforce group and talk about six to seven figure incomes. Because you know what? I, I don't, chat, Scott and I are talking behind the scenes. We're like, I don't think anybody talks about this topic. Not that many people do. And not that many people are willing to admit that they're a seven figure earner. Yeah. By the way. So anyway, so I think we're going to reach out yeah. to you and do a live session. So people should. I love it. That. Yeah. But uh, thanks again to our sponsors. And Elise, what, what questions would you like to ask us? Although I feel like you've got better answers. This is such a good opportunity. No, I love this. Oh my gosh. I love this. Here's what, um, man, this is such a good opportunity. So I would say to start, I think, well, I'll ask it for both of you, like for your 20 year old self starting off in sales, what do you wish you had known that you now know? Well, that's a long time ago for me. So, um, <laughs> 33 years. Um, I, you know, I mean, I've known this about my life through a lot of therapy. I'm, I'm like you, I went on a little bit of a journey, um, emotionally, and I was just a jerk and I thought I knew it all and I didn't want help. And this followed me into my thirties and even into my forties, you know, I would, I would get calls, you know, like, Hey, you know, we could help your company do this. And I'm like, no, we are going to do that. Like I wouldn't even take the conversation because I was so, I mean, I was angry at my dad. Like that's what it was. Like I was so tired of being told what to do by my parents. I wasn't going to let anybody else tell me what to do. So an open mind to listening, an open mind to um, asking for help. You know, I never got my first mentor till the till the till the pandemic came. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've and now what I've done is I've gone to my kids now and I will say, hey, you know, particularly in their sports, I'm like, hey, are you open to some suggestions for today? And it's okay to tell me no. Most of the time, Bodie will do it, and it's often mindset stuff. Riley this weekend had his last swim meet. And I'm like, are you open to a suggestion today? And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay. Like I didn't push it, but I wanted to at least lay the groundwork of like, hey, this is a way to undo that shit for me. So that would be the first thing was just being more open Um, and probably reading more. Like I read ferociously now. Like I'm a big reader. Um, So probably one to two books a month, some on audio, some physical I've been on a huge Steinbeck kick because I never read it in high school. I cliff noted it all the way through. Um, 
Scott, do you know what cliff notes are? So, um, <laughs> I never needed cliff notes, Richard. I always uh, read the whole thing. But, uh, <laughs> but there's so much good advice in those books around human, humanity, sales, business, life, and stuff. So those are the things I would, I would tell my 20-year-old self. But the first thing would be be open and willing to just hear something. It doesn't mean you have to actually do anything. Mm. So, wow. yeah. Scott, how about you? Well, I don't have nearly as good an answer. I, I, when I was 20 years old, I was not thinking about anything business related or money related or sales related at all. I, I never got into sales until I was 27. So if I would tell my 20 year old self something, it would have been open your eyes and start now rather than waiting so long. When, when I was 20 years old, I think it was 1997. And uh, that was like in the middle towards the end of the first dot com bust boom thing. Mm -hmm. And I was in the Bay Area and I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. So I just completely missed all of that. So it would be just to get started earlier and take it a little more seriously. You know, I didn't come from a background where my family talked about business or my family talked about money. God forbid you talk about relationships with money. Like nobody talked about that in my family because we didn't have any. Um, so that would be it. Just get, get started now. You know, but Scott, I want to I want to push on you. At twenty, you were a heavy duty athlete, right? You were you were yeah. a two scholarship athlete. You were, <laughs> as we started this conversation, you were about as niche as you could get. Right, <laughs> right. that's right. Yeah. Other, other other than the fact that, and you've had the, I've had this conversation. You, in some ways, you kind of wish you'd chosen just one because it might have helped you hit that professional tier, right? Because you could have possible. Yeah, but were you open in those arenas? Like, okay, if I'm going to be an athlete, I need to do this more and I'll take this advice here. Like, I, I hear you. I know you deep enough to know that, that you're right. I wish I had more business or vision, but do you feel like in that niche world that you were in, did you even have the right level of vision in that niche world or like, no, I probably could have looked at a couple of other things, more big picture, even in sports. I think I was pretty good for that time and era. There, there wasn't the same accessibility to people and information in the mid to late nineties that there is now. Right. I was pretty open to the feedback and coaching that I, that I got in different ways to increase my performance and stuff like that. You know, I, I just, I cared about what I was doing then deeply playing, playing sports cared only so much about school, just kind of wanted to do good enough and get through. And I studied psychology and religion just because it was interesting. That was literally the only reason I picked it. Um, so I, I, yeah, I just wish I would have had some friend or some family member who was like, listen, kid, let me tell you about the ways of the world and 30 K is not going to cut it. <laughs> and here is what I'm up to. And you might be good at this. You might want to look into this. So that would be my would answer. You, would you have listened? Yeah, you would have. Okay. I think if I had the if I if the right person was talking to me, yeah, I think I would. Yeah. See, I don't think I. I well, I know I didn't listen. I didn't want to hear it. I think that's a difference for us. Yeah. Well, you're a little meaner than me. Yes, yeah. I am. Yeah. Still, <laughs> still <laughs> this is true. So, uh, at least what else? we got, we get maybe time for one more, and then we need to wrap. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. So, so that was awesome. Um, my other question, because I think you know, Richard, I've been able to get to know you in particular, really, you know, better over the past few months. And Scott, I'm, I'm just getting to really connect with you here, but I can tell like 
from just getting to know you and talking with you. I think you're both probably excellent at this enrolling other people around you in your vision. So whether that's like, and this is a very selfish question, but hopefully it helps everyone listening too. like, that's really where I'm at right now. And what I'm doing is, um, you know, building team, making it less the Elise Archer brand, making it more like the, she sells brand and just getting, you know, building and lifting other people up to help carry the brand forward. And I, you know, Richard, I see the partnerships that you build with all sorts of incredible companies, you know, Scott, I see it's like you and Richard are doing the podcast together. So I'd love to know more about from both of you, just a tip or your top couple tips of just collaboration and rolling other people in your vision, how you've built team. That would be, that would be hugely helpful. I'll go first this time. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, my background is in being a VP of sales in tech companies and building and scaling sales orgs from scratch. So I've built a half dozen sales teams of anywhere from call it 50 to 200 people. Mm. Um, some under one roof, some scattered all about. So for a long, long time, I've been a team builder and a part of a team and a captain of a team and what have you and creating and crafting that, that identity. And for me, it was always just about what can I do to make your job easier today? I started there every single day. And then I went to what's going on. How are you feeling? I didn't talk about work. I got to know the people around me as best I could with what they were willing to share. And over time they would share everything because they knew it was like a safe, trusting kind of place. And then my accessibility to what Richard said before, you really would be hard pressed to find somebody that's been around as long as I have who responds to every message and responds within minutes of getting messages from total fucking strangers who have my information on every you know platform and channel you can possibly think of. So that creates, I think that that, that whole wheel creates this uh, thing around me where people feel like I'm super relatable and I'm always there for them. And even though I'm doing really well and obviously have some sort of agenda, my agenda is pushed to the side and their agenda is pushed to the front. And so people are therefore willing to do things for me. And I am very good, I think, after a particular amount of time of giving and giving and giving, saying, hey, Elise, I have this idea. I host this show on Tuesdays. Would you want to come and train about 500 people for me? And you, because you've known me and, and I've helped, presumably for God knows how long, are like, uh, yes, I would love to go do that. Yeah. And I collect bodies like that to the point where I have hundreds of people, probably not an exaggeration where if I texted people, Hey, I need some help on X, Y, Z. I bet I could get a hundred people to do something to lift a finger for me today to help. And that's, that is one skill set that I don't know where I really learned it or where it came from. Um, But that's one thing that I think that I've become pretty good at. And so that, that's how I've got this people around me, I think is the phrase that, that you, uh, that you use. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah. So Scott's a master delegator and he's a massive people collector. And, you know, according to his mother, 
Um, he, this is, I mean, he knows. It's true. It's broadcast. If you want to, Richard did a whole show with my family. Oh, Without him man. knowing. That's yeah, great. I'll send it to you. Oh, um, I love that. For his birthday. But, um, you know, Scott, it sounds like, was the kid in the neighborhood where everybody wanted to come to the Lisa's house to hang out with Scott. And, you know, I remember friends like that. And I don't, there's no, there's some Kavorka to it, right? Like there's some Kramer-esque, there's some charisma that's already pre-wired into Scott, aside from what his religion and psychology stuff taught him. Like, I think it, I think it was interesting to him because it was already there and it just struck a chord with him, but that's mm-hmm. me going deep on him. So I, it's everything he said is true. He, he collects people and in a heartbeat, that's probably my biggest challenge of I'm not great at that. I'm getting better at it. Um, and as growing this business, I've gotten better at it, but I've also gotten better at it in a sense of, I still have too much control on it. Like I have this partnership with Scott, you know, I think we said at the beginning, I'm the one taking notes. Why? Cause Scott knows that I will. It's not that he's not capable, but he knows that I will. And so he doesn't have to worry about it. We have someone who I was originally, when we did it, I was the one who uploaded them. Now we have someone else who does that. Right. So, but Scott, Scott's very good at that piece. Um, so but, Richard, but before Richard spends his whole two minutes talking about me, he's very good at collecting corporations mm. and brands. Yes. And I'm not as good at that. Yes. He hates that part because yeah. I don't have the, I don't have the patience for that kind of stuff Mm. you know this whole slog of going through all the paperwork to get approved and do i'm like jesus christ i can't be bothered just tell me what you want to do and i'll do it and i and you know so i won't do all that formality richard's very good at that and he has big established relationships with some of the key players right like salesforce for example the only reason that salesforce knows who the hell i am is because of richard Mm. Mm mm-hmm I have him to credit and thank for that. And he has those relationships with outreach and all these other folks whose names I could go on and on about. So he's better at the corporate side of that's that. Not, that's the part better. that Riley's going to put in the PowerPoint. He knows me because of you. Well, Scott, that's why you owe my dad a bunch of money. This recording will go missing. This recording will go missing. <laughs> um, I kind of even forgot what the original question was, Elise. So, um, it was it was enrolling people in your vision, but I, you know, this was yeah. so interesting on both sides. And Scott, to your point, of Richard is great at the building the corporate. Really, I mean, I'd love to hear so a little more about here's that. Here's the other thing. I'm, I think one of the things I'm really good at is coming up with an idea and taking it to step one or two, and then Scott becomes step three, four, and five. Mm. Right. So. I know for a fact, when I started consulting, I was like, Scott, you got to come do this. You can make more money. And he was like, yeah, I got to, you know, he, he was focused on his career and doing things in a certain way. And one day I even remember saying this to him. I said, I know it annoys you that I do this well. And I know that when you do it, one of your goals is going to be to crush me. But that's because he has that kind of vision you're talking about that I feel like that limited belief system is there. But I'm very good at getting started on something. I my and finding the right trees to go after. Sometimes I struggle to get to the forest. Mm. Um, There's a theme here between our two answers and then we'll have to get out of here. The theme is don't try to do everything yourself, even though you can. Yes. That's the central theme, right? We have surf and sales. Well, it's me, Richard, and we have a partner, Jeff. I have Thursday night sales. That's me and Amy Volos. We delegate all sorts of stuff out from people that we've helped and done some kindnesses to 
and they in turn give that back to us. So it's just easier to do things sometimes as a group than try to do all this stuff on your own. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I'm so glad I asked that. So Elise, where can people get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. EliseArcher.com is the central hub. Um, they can connect with the podcast at She Sells Radio, but I would say EliseArcher.com or She Sells Radio are the best places to go. Yeah, I will tell everybody too, by the way, when you get an email, send an email to Elise, which you should, um, you get this really professional automatic reply, but she does get to you. Like, I love the fact that she built, she built that in, which I was like, oh, that's really mm-hmm. smart of like, hey, it's not that I don't want to talk to you. I just, I get busy, but I will get to you. And I thought that was something I experienced over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. All right. Well, Elise, fabulous, amazing. Could go on for another two hours if we're not careful. Uh, oh. But thank you so much. We really appreciate it. This yeah, is thank phenomenal. you so much. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I loved it. All right. Till next time. <laughs>